Welcome to episode 125 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of three of the world's greatest minds discussing our passion for Linux. I'm Ryan, and with me today are the tacticians of podcasting, Zeb and Michael. How are you? I'm doing great. So we have another special guest on the show this week. But before we get into our interview, let's find out how everyone has been. So first of all, do we need to mention the fact that Noah's not here, or do we just skip over it? and pretend well we can ask the the viewers where's noah there you go so viewers this is your option again where is noah this time why is he not here uh let us know in the comments in youtube or send an email to us but until then michael how was your week sir my week has been pretty good it's been uh pretty hectic i've been doing a lot of things in, in including being productive on the Tux Digital channel, for example, Whoa. I mentioned that I was going to be making a Reasons Why I Like Firefox video, and I've completed it and have already published it. Wow. I know, that's Incredible. shocking. So it's tomorrow, shocking. Firefox releases a new version where they change everything, and now your whole video is old. If that were to happen, I would be very sad. But well, what was I interesting was I heard Michael tell us about this on, I think it was episode 72. So, way to go. Yeah. No, it wasn't. So, no, I, yeah. well, okay, I might have said that at some point I will do a video. Yeah, on, it was episode I, 72. No, I, it, I do not think so. I do not think so. I'll have to, I'll have to verify the, the information. But I do know for a fact I did say on like 123 or 122 that I, was, I, had, I had started making it, which I had done, and then I finished it in 125. I mean, for as long as it takes to get a video from episode 71 or 60, something like that, to 125, is this like Spielberg quality here? Well, I mean, in, in as much as I can with uh, the equipment that I have, as well as the time that I have as far as like when I finished it versus, versus the, uh, I'm just, as many excuses I can possibly give for this particular <laughs> What's thing. What's that about? A, a bad workman blames his tools? No, <laughs> I, I was, I admitted my excuse problem. So, but I, <laughs> it is, it's also like pretty extensive for like just a reasons video. So it's like 40 minutes long or something. So I, I did put a lot of effort into it. And there's also some animations and stuff like it. It's Look not, at you! It's it's got it's got a it's not. I put a little bit of extra effort into it. And We're probably going to lose you to DreamWorks after this. I, actually, I think either that or um, yeah, I one know. of the big studios is going to call yeah, you. Pixar, Pixar. I'll just go to Pixar. Pixar. That makes it easier. Go. So Zeb, how have you been this week, sir? Uh, well, it's been a pretty good week for me because I've been trying to put the Threadripper through its paces. Yeah. Um, I've been um, failing miserably because this thing is a beast. Um, <laughs> I only got, got around to installing Salient OS today, and finally I got the 32 cores to max out whilst it was compiling Blender. Nice. Five and a half <laughs> minutes, it was done. Next. <laughs> and then, and That's then awesome. it goes back to, to just 2 or 3% CPU. Put, oh, hang on, it might spike to 5% as I open up a program. Um, and even if I'm streaming... Uh, my my you know my my podcast and my crashing and all the rest of it it's humming away at about 25 30% it's just phenomenal that's incredible yeah. and what version of the threadripper did you get do you recall off your hands the, was it the, 20... the 20, 2950x yeah that's beautiful nice. threadripper I'm very jealous and uh, i'm glad half of you is on team red there 
Now, the <laughs> best news possible is next week you're going to see some content with this group of people for the first time, all of us being together at Self. So, Michael, what are some options we're going to have for people to see content itself. I know I'm going to do some live streaming there, yep. especially probably meeting Zeb and Rocco's going to be there as well. Yep. Um, one of one of the first hosts of Destination Linux. That's going to be the first time a lot of us are going to meet him. What's some other content yeah. we're going to do? Uh, Zeb's going to be doing some streaming as well. And mm -hmm. I, I will be doing a little bit of streaming, probably not as much as you guys because I don't have the, the best equipment because I'm cheap. As everybody knows that apparently, but he has the ninety-nine cent selfie stick. That's that's ridiculous. We'll drop his phone and crack it on the ground. As that's he walks. That, no, I would not. You can't say that about my selfie stick because I don't even know where it is now. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, I, what is it? I, there are also so many things we're gonna do. Some we're gonna do some streaming as far as this show. We're gonna be live streaming the show. We're going to be uh, doing. The, we'll be a part of the the self stream itself because. Uh, Wow, that's self stream itself. So self has their own live stream that they do throughout the the conference, and we're going to be participating on that here and there. I'm pretty sure Noah will be hosting the stream, and we will uh, guest guest host every once in a while, you know, th th sporadically during the conference. Also, uh, you can check out the if you're going to the conference, we're going to have some talks. Uh, for me and Noah are both giving multiple talks. Uh, I'm giving two. And these two talks, one is going to be on uh, the open source marketing, and the other one is like a video editing um, talk. And I can't wait because I haven't written either one of them. So, uh, well, we're all in shock here, Mister. <laughs> Mister. Just get it done. You yeah, know, it's only it's only like four or five days away, and yeah. I well, haven't written either one of them. <laughs> well, not not to put pressure on for you, um, but there are now only three days, nine hours. 49 minutes before I board the plane to come and see you guys. So, right, but I get an working. extra day because I don't have to tra mm -hmm. travel as much. So, Zeb, in the UK, <laughs> somebody's bombing on stage. What's the typical response? Do people throw tomatoes? Do they hook them with a cane and pull them off? What's the... Just boo. Okay, I'm just gonna boo okay. Michael. No, no, I'm not. I, I, I don't bomb on, on like talks. I've, I've gone. I've done so many talks in my career as going to conferences and stuff. I mean, uh -huh. technically only one ever, and that was last year, and it was a disaster. But that's not the, 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 the You're gonna example. bomb when I pull that power cable out, son. Plus yeah, it's we're, we're, we're fine. It's gonna be great. I'm gonna be so prepared, <laughs> just like I am for every show I've ever done. So what I'm doing, Zeb, this is fantastic. Uh, I'm gonna. He needs to borrow a laptop to hook up to the projector while we're there. So I'm gonna load Windows on it. No, he's not. No, he's not. I hand it to him. So he when can't. he goes up on that stage itself and plugs it in, everyone in the world is gonna know he's a filthy dude. So I luckily I don't have to worry about this actually being true because the software that is uh, running on that it's gonna be on the so on the laptop. It has to be on Linux. So I know that that's not true. Unless he does it in between the two days, because one day it doesn't matter what I'm running. Well, so good he thing might, he you can run uh, WSL. We've made it so easy to run Linux and Windows now that oh, we can just man. WSL it up and put Caden live there. I've got you all figured out, man. Yeah, I, we're, we're good. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, and then I'm when scared. he's like, this is at my laptop, I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, <laughs> not even, mine. You guys know I don't if, know. Oh, I'm as, scared. as part of your presentation, the first screen is the Windows desktop. I and mean, then you scramble... <laughs> And then turn it off and go. Only kidding! I don't. You hear that boot. stupid boot up noise, and then it's going to need to update in the middle of this presentation. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just get like a you know a video of a startup video of uh, Windows XP booting. 
and, <laughs> and just play that. And they're like, oh, just that. This is not a part of it. Okay. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, the 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 funny thing is, is like I I'm actually excited to do it because. I will have a computer that I don't have to worry about not working and be able to utilize the things that I wanted to do last time. So I'm looking forward to you guys chaperoning me around and show me what's good and what's not good. And yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Well, there's a, there's like a, an issue there because none of us are from the area. So we're, we're all going to be exploring that part <laughs> in general. Yeah. We'll figure it out together in jail. <laughs> in jail. <laughs> <laughs> So this week we got an email from Steve from the UK and he says, Hello Zeb, Ryan, Michael, and Noah. I would like to say thank you from the bottom of my heart to you guys. I've hit a low point in my life and listening to you chaps has been very helpful. It's something that I look forward to every Thursday. We're actually re we're considering changing the day, by the way, so we'll talk about that later. Uh, I found Linux way back in 2008-2007 via Nixie Pixel and Spatry on YouTube with uh, their Ubuntu Cube video, which is really interesting because we talk about that later in the interview about the Cube stuff. Uh, for some reason, the Cube was very big back then. I don't get it either. Just trying to figure out how to install the NVIDIA drivers back then was a nightmare. Just sends a shiver thinking about it. Then went back to Windows as I was a gamer. This was before Steam was on Linux. Ever so often uh, over the years, I'll jump onto Linux, then jump back. And it wasn't until the New Year's Day 2016 that I fully committed to Linux. Every day I played uh, had a native Linux, and every game I played had a native Linux version, like Euro Truck Simulator, Stellaris, Life is Strange, Tomb Raider, and so on. Great now, games. Yeah, exactly, all those good, good games. Now with Proton, many of my old Windows games now works as well. Yeah. yeah. I tried all the Ubuntu flavors. I wasn't impressed. Then tried Manjaro and Intergos, and then finally settled on Pure Arch when I Sing did jump. It. Sing it. <laughs> I wanted something that just worked, not not spend ages locked out on my PC waiting for PC to update. This year, I also made an ef an, an effect to uh, de-Google and de-Facebook my life. I really like this Steve yeah, guy. This, I'm liking Steve a lot. Yep, I agree. Uh, Gmail now has uh, has been replaced with ProtonMail. Facebook now has been replaced with Mastodon and Telegram. Chrome is now replaced with Firefox. And he says, just to, uh, like to say thank you and keep up the great work. Kind regards, Steve. And this is like just as a, one of the like a great email example. Like we, this like all the different things that you're explaining your your journey back and forth. Uh, you know, that I, I understand why you would have that issue back then, because you know, for a certain part period of time, Linux was the wild west. Now yeah. it is such an easy uh, transition phase. Uh, it's interesting that you went to Arch is where you settled on. And I'm, I, we Not all interesting. You mean perfect decision? <laughs> absolutely the best option out there. Period. It's a good option. I'll yeah. give you that. But yeah, no, I, I'd love that. First of all, if you're a gamer too, being on Arch, and if you have a very cutting edge equipment, that's definitely going to give you an advantage. Which is one of the reasons I love Arch because as I'm like, for instance, the Ryzen. Uh, 3900X coming out and the new video cards and things in Arch, I know that if AMD has dropped the driver's support for it in the kernel, which they have already started putting that into the latest iterations of the kernel, that on the day that I plug that in and boot up Arch, it's going to be there. Same with any rolling distro like OpenSUSE, Tumbleweed, and others. So uh, it's a really good good decision to be on there, especially for gamers, because you're going to have the latest and greatest support if you're also somebody who's into having the latest hardware out there. And I love that you de-Googlified your life and de-Facebooked your life. That is something that is a message I'm trying to, you know, spread heavily the importance of 
And I was reading some really interesting articles recently about people who have attempted this, uh, professionals in the field of privacy and security that can't. They literally, because Google is so ingrained into so many websites behind the scenes and things like Google Analytics and other things that even though they cut off all of the core services of using Google, they still can't entirely get yeah. rid of them because so many other services utilize it within their web pages or within their software, or other things. So it's just become a situation where um, people say, well, if you don't like the fact that they take your data, don't use it. And now you really don't have a choice because a lot of times you don't even know. It's not like a lot of these services make it apparent that they're using Google Analytics on the back end and things to store this data. Yeah, so, But I think it point. is important to send the message to these companies by leaving their platforms that we're just not interested in anymore. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree completely. And I, and I think that it's a really good point about the Google Analytics thing because like you can get rid of Google as far as using their services, but there's a, a lot of websites that use Google Analytics. I mean, probably the definitely the majority. And I couldn't tell you exactly, but I'd say mm -hmm. maybe 60% of the internet is using Google Analytics because it's so easy to, to set up and manage. You don't have to do anything really than to take a script and then slap it on the page. And that's something that's been you know heavily utilized through the you know the, the the entire world the world of the internet as well anyway but we as destination linux we don't use google analytics yeah. uh, because we care about privacy and we care about your using of our website so we use a self-hosted version called matomo and not only is it a good application and it works well and it gets all this the, all the data that we want it also allows us to keep privacy settings so we don't even see the ip addresses for the users so nice. we, we don't even need we don't even need to get any of the information other than like what benefits us as you know benef uh, helping our our podcast helping the website in general and it's fun to say matomo mm -hmm. there you go. <laughs> that's the important and part and one of the things I always think that people miss when they're trying to de-Google their life is how many times when you were using Google, did you go to join a website? And it was like, oh, yeah, just you click Google, click Google. And now what's going to happen is a couple of years later, you're going to go back to use that service and go, ah, I had joined. Oh, well, I'll have to join again. And then you might lose all of the threads and everything else you've done because you relied upon just clicking that Google and, yes, authorize that application. So the spider web. Yeah just goes everywhere it's it's, it's, it's funny incredible. that apple has attacked that specifically what you're talking about zev in their recent conference they have now created what they call the apple sign on which in the conference they talk about the fact that they're basically encrypting and not sending the data back to the cloud but allowing you to sign in using apple credentials there and that specifically really was a shot across the about of Facebook and Google by them presenting that very specific way of signing in. But to me, it's important whether you're a fan of Apple's or not, uh, that big companies are also joining this fight. And yes, some of them talk out of side of one mouth and then do other things that are questionable, yeah. but at least they're getting the conversation going about it because at the very least, if people see big companies talking about differentiators and privacy, then maybe it will take the general population, you know, and start making them think, gee, maybe this stuff is important. It's important enough for companies to market against it, to differentiate themselves and their products with it. Maybe it's something I should start caring about. Yeah, that's a good point. And that also might explain, like, do having the news, this sign-on service, that's a free service, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah, that, that might explain how they're paying for it with that uh, $1,000 stand for the monitor. <laughs> the dumbest thing on the planet. <laughs> we could do the whole episode on the dumbness of a nine hundred ninety nine dollar stand. But yeah, it's it's a, it's amazing the the uh, 
intestinal fortitude they have to do I'm something like that. You, who else in the world would launch that and not get laughed off the stage? <laughs> I thought it was an early April Fool's joke. Yeah. Everybody was like, this is this can't be real. And like, it's real. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you can buy the $6,000 monitor, but you need a stand to go with it. To go with it, yeah. Zeb, how can people send their comments in to us? Uh, well, yeah, make sure that um, you do write into us. And we want to hear from our listeners, especially how Michael knew we were talking about the cube when the interview hasn't even happened yet. So send your comments through to comments at destinationlinux.org and keep your stories about how you use Linux and how Linux helps you. Because two weeks in a row now, we've had people who say that because the Linux community is great, they've been able to move on with their lives and make their lives that much richer. So keep those comments in. And uh, of course, don't forget to let us know where's Noah. Yep. I think I figured out the pro- how I did it because the cube is magic. Wow. Look at that. Yep. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You get all of this, plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month or you can use their flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. That's darn near free. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest source software, languages, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean for one month free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash dl. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a $50 credit by just going to do.co slash dl. Let them know Destination Linux sent you by going to that link. And we thank DigitalOcean for their sponsorship. So let's get right into our special guest this week. We'd like to welcome Jonathan Thomas to the podcast. Jonathan is a creator, lead developer behind the very popular award-winning video editing tool, OpenShot. He is also a YouTuber and a very good marketer because he sent us all OpenShot shirts before the show. Jonathan, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I don't know if I'm a very good marketer, actually. Um, and I'm not much of a YouTuber either, but I'll take it. There you go. Well, you're <laughs> definitely a creator because you are a part of the OpenShot, uh, developer of OpenShot, very popular editor. But before we get directly into OpenShot, I want to know, how did you get started in Linux? Can you tell us how your journey began? So, yeah. Um, so, um, oh, oh, gosh, what time was that? Um, it was prior to 2008. And I think I had um, started playing around with Linux for my job. Um, so there was kind of a commercial application. And then um, I started realizing that I could take all my computers at home and put Linux on them. And then after that, I kind of got hooked. And I think I had a pile of like just distro CDs that I was testing out every distro I could find. Um, and I kind of got hooked on on the whole open source Linux thing. But it was, I think it was it was prior to 2008 because I started OpenShot in 2008. Do you remember what your first uh, distro was that you used? I didn't really use just one. I had a whole bunch. Um, I, I know it was Ubuntu based or it was Debian based. It was something, but I was playing with like puppy Linux and all sorts of distributions. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I think I I usually settle on something 
kind of bland and and boring like Ubuntu because it it gets the job done and and let me do And it's interesting. Was you um, testing out those different flavors because you wanted to see which you preferred, or were you were you testing them out because you wanted to make sure that OpenShot worked with them all type thing? Well, when I when I first started with Linux itself, I didn't have OpenShot. Um, I had I hadn't decided to go into that endeavor yet, and so it was just me, like anybody else, just playing around with different distros and trying mm-hmm. them out. And, and honestly, it was a lot of like stupid eye candy and desktop cubes and funny stuff like that. Um, that that was like real appealing to me, the kind of visual eye candy parts. That's actually mm-hmm. pretty funny because I remember that when I first started using uh, certain like DEs and stuff, it was like they were promoting the desktop cube as like the greatest thing. And I was like, this is so cool. And for about 15 minutes I used it. And then after that, I was like, I'm never going to use this again. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked it. I'm, I'm kind of sad we don't have desktop cubes anymore. We still or do with, with Plasma. Plasma. Just, just install Plasma and you're good. Yeah. <laughs> all right so what our listeners are really interested in what i'd like to know is uh, what's your favorite distribution at the moment and the desktop environment um and why it happens to be peppermint os so <laughs> sorry to disappoint it's not peppermint it's not because i don't like peppermint um, i haven't used peppermint very much so so like i said before it's kind of um i take more of a practical approach and i, I just want something that will let me program and kind of stay out of my way and actually it tends to be like a Debian-based distro. I don't know mm-hmm. if you want to, it's a specific um, Ubuntu distro, but I have to use an older one uh, for some of my programming-related dependency stuff. And so I, I never get to use the like bleeding-edge distros. I'm always on like a three-year-old version just because GLive is the right version or something mm-hmm. like that. Do you notice you, uh, you know, if when you get bug reports or anything, does it happen a lot in a lot of cases, the ones you do get from people who are on bleeding edge distros, or is it still just a mixed bag? It's a, I mean, sometimes, yeah, sometimes newer distros will change something. Um, but we have, we have a lot of build servers and a lot of testers. And so um, it's rare that it just won't work at all on a distro. That's usually pretty rare. Um, it's usually just not packaged correctly or, or, um, or there's something on the system itself that's not compatible in some way but it's not so much the new distros that cause problems they're usually okay very good is there ever ever an issue where you have to like set up a a new distro install in order to test the to make like troubleshoot and try to fix the things and then go back to the the older development stuff yeah i usually use like virtual box for that kind of stuff Um, but yes i do have to install lots of strange distros um, especially if it's Someone will send me a screenshot and it just looks bizarre. And it's like, I have to see what's happening. <laughs> it's kind of like you you actually have a reason to distro hop, whereas the rest of us just, we really don't have an excuse for why we do it. But like, honestly, I don't I don't have time to install every distro and, and play around with them I mean, and develop OpenShot. So it's, so yeah, yeah. sometimes I, I try not to distro hop too much because it's, it's very disruptive to like my personal development workflow but, right. but i Sounds do enjoy on occasion having to install something strange that i've never seen before yeah mm. see ryan that's why i haven't done it in years that's exactly yeah. why because i heard have... developing something so important like OpenShot. so speaking of OpenShot, uh <laughs> so well, I, just one more comment on that i think a lot of people that do um audio or video editing once they get their rig like working they don't want anything to update they don't want that's anything true. to change yeah it's just so disruptive it's so easy and so like fragile to break yeah i have a lot of i have a very custom workflow that i set up and just don't want to do again i mean i totally could do it again i just i just don't want to 
<laughs> so, yeah, well, that makes sense. But uh, so uh, let's go back to OpenShot. Uh, you you brought the uh, OpenShot came to fruition in like 2008. And so just curious, what drove you to tackle the creation of OpenShot and, and like getting into video editor development? So I didn't have, you know, like I said, I didn't have any intention on building anything um, on Linux more than just maybe some commercial application that I, from my job I was working at. Um, but as I started to kind of get into the, get the Linux bug and, and whatnot, um, that was one of the big gaps and functionality that I found on like the early versions of Ubuntu and, and just any distro was that there was only a few video editors and none of them really worked. At least I couldn't make them work. Maybe they worked for somebody, them. they never worked for me. And so that was kind of the, the genesis of like, maybe I'll just see what it would take to build my own video editor. What was the competition back then? This could be for a question for anybody. What was, because I wasn't around Linux at that time, what were the video editors around 2008 for Linux? Um, there was Cinelera. Mm -hmm. um, what was the other one? I'm pretty sure back in the day, uh, Pit2V was available still. I think, it was, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the, old, the uh, one of the older ones. And of course, at this point, you're probably you don't have a nice software store, easy package management, right? In in 2008, where you uh, having no. <laughs> you're right. pretty much replacing it yourself. Synaptic, yeah. I think what's interesting about this is you know a lot of times as you're looking at people who have established themselves as developers and well-known names in. Linux development, they will tell you if you want to get into it, pick a pain point, something that bothers you and go fix it. And that's exactly how you got started. Basically, you had a pain point with video editing and you went to fix it. I'm just curious, you know, uh, video editing, not simple, but what are some of the initial growing pains that you faced when you were starting out uh, with creating a video editor in Linux? Yeah, video editors are pretty challenging. Um, they're kind of similar to like a game engine, like the Unreal Engine or something like that. They kind of have an internal clock and there's lots of alignment of different layers and things. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I I tend to take things in very like small steps. And, um, and so the first thing I, I think I tried to do was just decode a video so I could take like, a, a, like an MP4 or, an M or whatever was uh, popular back in 2008. Um, and like decode a frame of pixels out of it, something like that. So um, that was kind of the first thing I think that I tried to do. And, and there were a few libraries I used in the beginning that helped a bunch. Um, I didn't have to kind of start, you know, I was standing on the shoulders of other projects and other libraries. Right. Uh, just to see if I could get something to work. And then once I did that, I tried to go a step further and I just kind of kept layering things together to see if I could do it. Did you ever get a point in that process where you're like, you know, I'm just not gonna keep doing this and then yeah. Yeah, um, it wasn't very long. I was pretty much done. I, and I had decided that this was really hard and kind of crazy endeavor and that this was going to take a, like an enormous amount of time to get it to work at all. And so I started kind of blogging. Um, I kind of put some blog posts out there just to kind of cover my, you know, to kind of describe my journey through this attempt. If anybody wanted to like pick it up after me. And then some guy in the UK, um, his name's Andy Finch, and he got involved, sent me an email and started contributing. And it was kind of like, I had never really worked on an open source project um, up to this point, like, you know, really like working with other people. Right. And, and that was kind of real contagious. And I was like, what? Some guy in the UK wants to help me. Yeah. So it was kind of real intoxicating and, um, and it definitely motivated me to keep moving. And then from there, more people joined and more people joined and kind of just kind of started snowballing. I think that's fascinating because we, one of the messages we're trying to get out to the community is about 
contributing in some way and lots of different ways to do that. Sometimes it's just simply sending a thank you could be helping uh, people out, but definitely getting involved in trying to help people overcome. And I think your story is fascinating from that standpoint, because had that person not reached out to you, you might not be here today talking about open shot and how Probably far not. it's come. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So creating a video editor is obviously not an easy undertaking. Um, but how important was it for you to make it open source? Oh, well, again, like I, I didn't really start this with some grand plan in the beginning. Um, so it was kind of, I didn't, I didn't want to, I wasn't trying to make a business out of it or make money at it. It was just kind of something I was trying to get to work and I was sharing it with people and they were contributing back. So it just kind of made sense to me. Um, it was also kind of a way in a way just to give back something since I was playing around with Linux and all this cool open source stuff. It was just a nice like gesture just to kind of parrot what they were doing. Uh, all these projects were giving me code and I was kind of giving some code back to the community, but it was such a small thing. It was, it was kind of like nothing in the beginning. It wasn't really much in the beginning. Um, but like I said, like you mentioned, like ways to contribute um, and, and just having someone like send an email and offer to be, you know, to help to what can I do? I want, I'd like to see this project continue. Um, just having some enthusiastic person involved makes a huge difference to most small projects, including mine. Yep. So I think that's a, a way anybody can contribute is just get involved. And even if you're not a developer, just, you know, get involved. How can I help? Um, and then add some spark of enthusiasm to the project. And I think you'd be shocked that what little that does, but like, what little effort that takes to make such a big impact on a lot of projects. Yeah, even yeah, just telling people that, would you agree that telling just telling people that you appreciate the work that they're doing and you know just even just helping and just saying thank you would that be you know a, a value a value to you is like keeping motivation. Yeah, I mean anytime I get an email that people say thank you, I share it with anybody that'll listen um, and other people <laughs> that helped me and kind of share it. So everybody does that and that always is like a good feeling say someone Someone in the world actually thinks we did something good. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a fun, that's a fun feeling. And, but, but even more than that, if you have even the slightest inkling to get involved, um, you don't have to be a developer or give every day of your schedule. You know, you can just come in once a week and dive bomb the project with some nice thoughts and enthusiasm. And that, like, that does matter. It does help. Yeah. It's funny because part of my career, I worked um, with managing teams that were customer service frontline or technical support frontline. And one of the things that managers have to deal with is that the agents, especially when they're dealing trouble tickets and those things, get burnt out so fast because they only hear the negative. Mm-hmm. And people are generally just, they can be really angry and mean and that takes a toll on them. But anytime someone would call in and was kind you would hear all the agents on the floor talking about it. Like I had this really nice person <laughs> call in and, you know, and it, it, it makes a difference. And I remember when I started my YouTube channel, the first person that gave one of my junk videos, I mean, if you think they're junk now, you should have seen them back in the day, like mm-hmm. gave them a thumbs up and left a nice comment. It made all the difference. It made you decide, okay, maybe I'm doing something right here and mm-hmm. to keep going. So yeah, I, I love that you mentioned that because I think it is it's so important that we utilize these tools every day, even the small tools, they don't have to be giant tools, right. but the small tools even that you use every day that you like, just go on Google or DuckDuckGo, hopefully even better, and search for the person's name, developer's name, send them a quick twit, tweet or something and say, this is awesome, thank you for making this application. Because we're seeing a lot of projects not 
continue. And I think a lot of it probably is because maybe they only hear the negative. Maybe they, I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that as a, as like an app developer, you hear more negative than you do positive. Yeah. Like 95% of my emails are either like you crushed my computer, you idiot. Or, you know, (laughs) there's things like, there's a lot of, they're kind of like half bug report, half complaint. Yeah. Um, or, or it's people sending me articles that are negative in nature or that have negative comments. And it's just like, there's a lot of negativity around, um, Absolutely. I guess just the internet in general, it's not, you know, just open source, but it's just, so yeah, most app developers aren't being flooded in thank you letters and, and nice niceties. Right. Yeah. And they should be, especially open source developers. Absolutely. Yeah. So OpenShot is not just available in Linux. It's also available for Mac and Windows. Uh, having built a cross-platform application, in your opinion, what are the strengths in releasing for Linux versus other operating systems, and where does Linux fall short? So that's a that's like a really loaded question. Um, <laughs> there there is no like in my opinion. This is all in my opinion. Um, so qualify everything. There is no perfect distro or perfect OS. You know, they all have pain points right. and like Mac and Windows development sucks. But I think for, for Linux itself, um, I think one of the biggest pain points just in, in like just for any Linux developer is just the number of distros and packaging formats. Um, I remember after I had my first application that actually worked and I wanted to share it with people, that was extremely frustrating um, trying to figure out, you know, like now I have to be a Debian certified packager I have to read 8,000 pages of Debian packaging notes and no one would help. It's kind of just very, um, yeah. And of course people say they'll help, right? This is the whole idea. Like we're all open source. We'll all help. But when you don't, when no one knows your project, no one's super enthusiastic of helping you. That's interesting. Yeah. Like if, if, um, you know, I mean now if OpenShot needs to be packaged, someone will like, Oh, OpenShot needs packaging and you'll have 10 hands come up like I'll do it. But back in the day, nobody cared. So it was, it was me trying to learn Debian packaging because that was my primary. That was one of the bigger distros, right? Like Ubuntu and Debian. Um, and so I thought I'll hit that one first because it has the most people. And mm-hmm. I spent months trying to learn. Just I mean, and it still wasn't a very good package, but it was. It, it finally worked. Um, so how important then do you think um, that the universal packages are going to be? In your I think it's really system. important. I mean, in my opinion, as an app developer, I think if you want to see more applications, then make it really easy for app, you know, for application developers to package their stuff. Um, but you know, Windows isn't exactly better, and Mac isn't better either. They, they all have problems um, with regards to you know packaging applications. They all have their their pain points. But yeah, I, I think just in general, though, like with Linux in mind, I think the the multiple packaging formats and different repositories. I know that's part of what makes Linux Linux, but it, it makes it difficult from an application developer standpoint. Yeah, it's it's the, one of the best things about the, the the inner workings or the plumbing of the operating system, but not necessarily the best way to deploy applications. So I think I agree that the the universal apps are definitely going to be an improvement overall to the, the ecosystem and the platform in general. Uh, but let's go back to the previous question about the... Uh, like the differences between developing for uh, Windows and Mac versus Linux. Do you have, is there any kind of like pain points that, um, like for Mac and Windows that caused you to have to like kind of 
uh, like focus on those more so than the Linux version? Or is there like, like which one do you think is the easiest and overall to use, even though they're both, they all have pain issues and stuff, but is there any kind of like benefit to the open aspects of it over the, like the proprietary platform, like IDEs and stuff? Well, I use Linux. I mean, I develop on Linux and test on Linux. And so it's my primary system still. And so it's it's super easy to get started like as a developer with OpenShot using Linux. There's just like a few commands you run. You have everything you need from your package manager and um, you can use any IDE or no IDE. Everything's like, it's pretty easy to, to get involved. It's, it's literally like 10 minutes or 20 minutes if you follow this like, you know, document I have. Yeah. Um, with Windows, you'll spend like a week setting up a computer that can run like the development version of OpenShot. And then with Mac, it's it's a little easier than Windows, but and that's partially because not all not all these dependencies that I use are available on Windows uh, or Mac. They're not you know packaged in any way. Um, so so part of part of like installing OpenShot on Windows or Mac or you know like the development version is figuring out how to compile like setting up a, a whole environment you know where you can compile certain Linux based dependencies for these other operating systems and so that's tedious and terrible no one likes doing it mm -hmm. so do you as, as, as a developer have you ever come across a decision where you think i can't put that feature in because i can't get it to work on mac or i can't get it to work on windows or it only works in linux um no i haven't had that um exact problem i mean when i do face things like that like it, it might be a temporary thing where I can, I figure it out on Linux, but I haven't figured it out on Windows or Mac. Um, and I have an example I'll share with you later, I think in the call about this, but um, I, what I usually do is just kind of disable that one thing temporarily, you know, so the button might be there, but it might have like a tooltip that says, you know, not available on Windows, but, mm -hmm. but rarely do, do have I, rarely have I run into that many things that I couldn't get working cross-platform. It does suck sometimes when you're doing cross-platform development because some things that work great on Linux or like in standard C++, for example, you go over to Windows and it's not exactly standard C++ and same with <laughs> Mac, you know, there's like different compilers. And um, so sometimes things that seem like they should be really simple end up with like quite a complex implementation just because um, you have to implement a function three different ways, you know, but th those are usually, it, those are far and few. Like it's not that, it hasn't been that difficult to, um, to get things working cross-platform. That's really good to hear. Yeah. The source so, code, I mean, this, the source code is not, it's not like, you know, if windows do this and if Linux do this, it's not, the source code's not written that way. It's mostly this like one source code. Um, and then very few little, you'll see very few of those, like if windows or if Mac in the source code. Very interesting. There's, there's so, You've had a big change, though, recently with OpenShot 2.4.4, which you had to roll all of these changes that you made, which were fantastic changes overall. And, and I'll touch on those um, a little bit here, but I'll let you go into some details. But you had a nice suite of enhancements to OpenShot in this 2.4.4 release. Improved SVG rendering, improved panel docking, bunch of new languages, keyframe scaling, Timeline performance. I mean, and there's a list like this. So you went for, you really went for it this time with the developer teams. Tell us about 2.44 and what are some of your favorite features are of this release. Well, the funny thing is it took so long for us to like finally get together that I'm almost done with 2.45 now. Nice. <laughs> and it's got, it's got maybe even more um, improvements than 2.44. Wow. 
So anyway, uh, yeah, 244, um, just to talk a little about that, one of the things that I did differently with 244 was we kind of, I spent a lot more time documenting and kind of um, structuring testing documents and release documents and, and making a lot of the the whole testing and release process more transparent. And so that, that way more people could get involved with it. And so, and that did help. Um, some people, some volunteers helped me test on different operating systems and different distros. Um, and we had kind of like a bulleted numbered, you know, testing plan to run down. So if something didn't work, it was real clear, you know, like number two sub point A failed on Windows. Um, and so we were able to kind of do, a, I think a more thorough testing than we've ever done before with OpenShot. And so that was, um, that's great. That, that alone was one of the best things that we that we've done so far for the project. And I think two, four, five, it just extends that even more. Um, there's more testing. There's more things we found that failed after we released two, four, four. And so it it was just more more transparency, more documentation, uh, more thought behind kind of standardizing like the process itself, like making the process of releasing a thing that people could get involved with as well. Great. Um, two four five. I don't know if you want me to talk about that, but um, absolutely. Two four five. One of the biggest things I'll just kind of touch on briefly, but um, is hardware acceleration for both encoding and decoding. Mm, and nice. As well as um, cross-platform hardware acceleration. So it works on all three operating systems and supports a bunch of different graphic cards. Um, and so that was a. Does anybody know but us now that that's happening? Because that's huge. Well, that I mean, I, I know. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that to me is that's a game important. changer. Yeah, yeah it, it's one of the things where a lot of video editors out there on Linux, you know, I have a, a Radeon 7, um, you know, very expensive GPU, very nice CPU. Uh, Zeb just recently upgraded his machine. And a lot of times the hardware encoding is not really utilized in the video editors within Linux to any extent. And that puts it at a major disadvantage. That's huge you're doing that. So I'll give you like an example, like on, on something like a, um, a 1080p render that I was working on um, prior to hardware acceleration, I could, I could render this and it had quite a lot going on, but I could render it at about... 24, 27 frames a second is what it would render at. And um, with these new changes, it's like 70, 80 frames a second. Oh my goodness. I can that. So it, it makes a huge difference. Oh, I, mean, I got goosebumps now. That's amazing, man. That's <laughs> exactly what we've been needing on Linux for video editors for yeah. a while now. And a lot of that work happened um, with a contributor. His name's Peter. Um, he's from Canada. And he's he's been real. He's a, um, he's a retired PhD um, scientist and he got real interested in like hardware acceleration and so he's he's contributed a bunch in that in that realm and then i've kind of worked with him to kind of integrate it and make incredible. it so an interesting thing that you've got your hardware acceleration coming along so a question that we always like to try and find out is is it easier to work with amd or is it easier to work with nvidia and if you have a problem who who comes back to you with the most support if you get support from either of them um, I've never talked directly with AMD or NVIDIA, like their support people. Um, the only the only company I have like a contact with that has helped in the past has been Intel. Nice. Um, some of their um, encoding. I have like five contacts at Intel that have reached out to me. <laughs> but Excellent. I've never talked to anyone at uh, AMD or NVIDIA. The good thing is that um, a lot of this is leveraging encoding support built into FFmpeg. So it's kind of abstracted from me just a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so some, some of that implementation details, some of that is hidden from my implementation, if that makes sense. Yeah. So how did Debian suddenly taking NVENC out of FFmpeg impact you? Did you have to then recompile it yourself or how has that worked? So, so some of this is um, I've yet to roll out like a major release with hardware support. And I imagine I'm going to get a lot of bug reports relating to things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even know all the, I mean, I don't even know all the dependencies that are out there that might conflict with this or th so this is going to be an experimental, experimental feature mm -hmm. perhaps when it first starts, but, um, but well, part of it is just based on what libraries you have installed on your computer. And so, like you said, if, if um, your computer, no longer supports a certain type of encoding, then I would not, I mean, OpenShot would also fail to be able to use that unless you, um, unless I packaged up one of those dependencies, which is difficult to do sometimes um, and make it compatible with different distros, but mm -hmm. so I try not to do that too much. Sure. So going back to 2.4.4, one of the big announcements is that you'll now be working on OpenShot full time. Um, so how does that feel and what does it mean for OpenShot as a product? So I've always had another job um, since 2008. And so, yeah, this year has been the first year I've been doing OpenShot full time. Um, and it's been it's been awesome and, and scary at the same time. And so it's, mm -hmm. um, not having a, a steady paycheck is scary, but being able to put all my energy into OpenShot is like really exciting and fun. Um, so even though I don't think I don't think it's kind of come through yet, like the amount of changes that are coming to OpenShot. I think by the end of this year, um, if you look back at any other year of OpenShot, you're going to see like it's going to not even be comparable to the amount of like improvements we've had. Yeah. Congratulations yes. on that, by the way. I mean, mm -hmm. to take a project like you said, starting from let me just see if I can figure this out to maybe I'm not going to do this to what OpenShot's become. And now what OpenShot is today that you can work on it full time. That is no small accomplishment yeah. at all. And the fact that you can work on this full time is incredible. So congratulations. Yeah. Well, and and, and just over a little over 10 years. It's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, there's easier ways to make a living for sure, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a lot of fun to get to work on something um, like, like a passion project and, and find a way to like make enough money to survive. And it's, it's a fun, satisfying feeling, but it's, yeah, it took a long time to get here. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's impossible to know the future, how long I can maintain this. So um, I'm trying to make the most of it. And, and while I'm hundred percent dedicated, um, just, make OpenShot as good as I possibly can. There's a great saying out there that I love that uh, the problem with the good times is you don't know they were the good times till it's over. So yeah, you always got to keep reminding yourself, this is the good times, enjoy it. Yeah, that's a good quote. Like yeah, that. that's a good one, I'm gonna take it. <laughs> so, uh, so let's go back a little bit to, uh, to like the universal app formats because I'm 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 interested in there's like there's a couple ways that you release OpenShot like the PPA and the app image but it's the app image is like the most uh, like the primary uh, suggestion on the website. Uh, could you offer some your insight to why you chose app images as the main format that you use to release OpenShot? So yeah, the app image is really cool. Um, I don't know if that will be the you know if that will win the universal format or not. Probably not. Um, but for now, uh, I think what it offers is it offers a single file, you know, for, for people that are interested to try OpenShot. It's like a single download that you can make executable. It doesn't change your system. Um, and it has everything it needs on most distros to run. A few distros, it'll fail, I think. Um, but yeah. this is one of the reasons that we built 
we build it on an older distro so that it has, you know, um, things that are more generally compatible than newer distros. Nice. Um, That's actually the yeah. recommendation from the app image people anyway. The, so, sorry, say that again. That's the recommendation for the app image developers. They they say that if you were going to build an app image, if you may, if you do the build on an old system, it's almost guaranteed to work on the new systems too. So I think that app images is, right. is a fantastic format, and I I kind of agree with you that it while it is probably like the best one right now, it might not win out because of the other some some issues like that uh, about the how it updates different versions and stuff like that. Uh, but overall, I think it's it's really awesome. And then every time I go to a website and it has an app image download, it's like, awesome, thank you. I was just thinking that, Michael. I'm like, every time I see an, a, a software that has an app image, I'm excited because I know it's going to work and it's going to be easy and take a few seconds. Whereas yep. some of the others, they do, the other ones are getting better. So it's not to put them down in any way, but some of the others you can run into, you know, issues with or that the steps to get them installed is just the same steps of installing any software as I find app image almost an instantaneous thing. You download it, right click it, make it executable and boom, you're, you're done. Yeah. Uh, and, and ready to go. So I, I like that you guys have chosen uh, app image for it. Cause to me, that's one of my favorites. And the, the app image format is very similar to the Mac DMG, like disc image yep. format. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's familiar, but it's kind of a yep. similar concept kind of like you're mounting a disc that has everything on it that it needs and kind of its own folder system. Um, and so it's a really cool concept. And the creator of AppImage, um, he had actually approached me at some point about supporting, you know, having OpenShot on AppImage. And um, and I told him, I was like, well, if you'll help me, I'll be happy to do it. And he was like, let's do it. Nice. So, um, so the creator of AppImage actually helped that happen. And without that, I probably wouldn't have jumped into it because it was kind of complicated. Um, to get it set up initially. Nice. Very cool. But yeah, I appreciate him a whole bunch, and he's helpful. That's awesome. So what features do you think make OpenShot stand out from amongst the other open source video editors that are out there right now? So it's interesting. I think um, earlier you mentioned like competitors or competing, and I don't really think a lot of open source projects think in terms of com competitors sure. and competition. I know I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. Number one, and, I, and this is probably both good and bad, but I don't run other video editors. Um, and I don't think like, I'm not trying to like beat them in a marketplace necessarily. So I'm not spending any energy trying to think. Uh, I'm just kind of in my own little garden with people using OpenShot and trying to make it as good as possible. But yeah, I think one thing that that's always been important to me with anything I build is to make it really simple, approachable. And I think most video editors fail miserably at this. And they go just insane, you know, 3,000 buttons on the screen, and you have to have a PhD to even, like, approach it. Yeah. So I, I've tried to make OpenShot real simple. And even though there's a lot of, like, features and animation and keyframing and a lot of cool stuff you can do, it's not, like, it's kind of just under the surface. So um, if, if you just install OpenShot for the first time, you kind of get, like, the simple view. And you can drag a video and trim it and export it, and it's real simple. But if you want to, like, get really into it, you can add more layers and pop open the, you know, keyframe uh, properties and pretty soon you're like, you have like a pretty complicated looking interface or something. Um, right. But yeah, I think simplicity is one thing. Simplicity. Yeah, that's a good one. I agree with that. I think the one the one of the things that I, I think is really good for uh, OpenShot and how it stands out is the, the integration with Blender for those animated titles. Like that's a really cool concept. 
And uh, like, how how did you decide to do that? Did it, it was like any kind of like collaboration with Blender or like like because it seems like a, a a very interesting and unique task to approach. That was just something I did for fun one day, um, and people really liked it, and I'm really happy they like it. But it wasn't really <laughs> it wasn't super thought out. It was um, I was learning Blender on my own just to kind of because I enjoy it and it was fun. And so it was, and it was a challenging, obviously it's a pretty challenging interface and, and like control setup on how to use Blender. But after I started kind of getting the gist of it, um, I, I realized that you can script. Um, Blender has Python like baked into it and you can script stuff. Um, and you can script it without even popping up Blender. You can kind of have it like, you know, behind the scenes. So then as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I'm gonna tie in. So I'm gonna build in something where you could pick a Blender file and then like have it render straight into your video. Um, so that was just something I wanted to do, and this is more of a, a pet project. But I'm very we happy. A lot of people like it, and I'm very happy to like it. Yeah, when me and Michael were talking about the project, that was one of the things we both like popped out, like the Blender integration. It stood out to both of us as such a cool option because, you know, a lot of times when you're doing YouTube content and things like that, you need to create some type of fancy 3D text or something coming on the screen to try to get people's attention and... Mm -hmm. I don't have to because you not only have integration with Blender, but you don't make people have to be experts in Blender to use that implementation because you've set up templates there that somebody yeah. could go in and just make some changes to, but still get that you know same effect that somebody using a $300 editor or whatnot uh, could achieve. And I thought that was just brilliant. And it's so funny to me that you're like, oh, it's just like this idea that randomly popped out and I'll just throw that in there. And those sometimes are the best ideas, right? The ones where you don't overthink it. And I think it's fantastic in a standout feature for OpenShot. Yeah, I, and I really like the idea that you can kind of take the 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 the, bl the, the Blender animations and then open up it in Blender and see how it works. Like that's a really cool uh, aspect to it. Oh. Yeah, some of those some of those Blender animations are pretty complicated, um, and one of them even has like a healthy amount of trigonometry in it, and um, where you can put like two uh, GPS like oh, and, uh, latitude longitude coordinates, and it'll calculate like where on Earth those two points, and will like draw draw a line from point A to point B. Yeah, that's cool. Some of those yeah. Yeah, we're like overly complicated, but pretty enjoyable to work on. Nice. Is there any, is there any way for like uh, like because this this kind of falls into the next question because I wanted to like talk to you about collaboration with various projects. So I'm curious, like, is there any kind of uh, first uh, what kind of collaboration do you have like for developers between other projects, and uh, do, you, do you have any kind of collaborations that you're currently working on or like want to work on? But at the same time, is there any kind of uh, collaboration with the Blender community to make more kind of more of those those title animations, or maybe just have like uh, community submissions for those kinds of things? Um, that's a great question. Um, I would be happy to you know work with uh, more Blender animators to tie. It's really easy to tie in new templates. Um, I mean, it's really easy. Like it takes twenty minutes maybe to take a Blender title and then kind of like figure out what can be replaced on it and like what colors can be replaced, things like that. And then kind of script it in. It's, it's literally like copy paste, change a few words. And it's, it's good to go. Um, so yeah, I, I do have some connections with people at, that make Blender, um, but we don't, we don't coordinate, you know, or anything like that. We haven't done any like big, you know, purposeful um, coordination between the projects. Um, I would, I would like to work with Krita. That's another project I very much mm -hmm. like. Um, and it has a very similar nice. story, I think. 
and it uses a similar technology to OpenShot. So I think um, tying in some of like Krita's animation capabilities, um, like 2D uh, frame by frame kind of animation would be really fun. That'd be cool. Um, yeah, I, I've, I'm, at some point I'm gonna have like a really good 2D animation integration in OpenShot. I just haven't quite got there yet, but I just haven't had time to do it. But at some point you're gonna see like a, a, like a legit multi-layer frame by frame, you know, where you can use tablets and drawing tablets and Wacom and um, oh, that would be amazing. 2.4.6, right? Draw on your videos and color people's eyeballs and things like that. Just right inside of it. That's what I want. Yeah, that'd be nice. awesome. And I can't wait for 2.4.6 now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might not come into, I don't know. What that'll be, but... I love how we're trying to push them forward. Like, yeah, we want that too. So we're just going to make up that it's in 2.4.6. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the 3D animations, uh, one of the titles we have in OpenShot is made by the director of Sintel, which was one of the Blender open movies yeah that was like one of the latest ones wasn't it uh it was many years ago now at this point but it was the one with the dragon the girl with the with the dragon and it was uh, like a really cool uh movie but the director of that movie um contributed one one or two of his own 3d animations to, to open shot nice. wow that's, that's very awesome. cool. so there's been some negativity towards um Linux and being able to do video editing, yeah? So there's been multiple YouTube personalities talking negatively about the video editors. Um, we, comp we try and combat this heavily on the show, but we'd love to get your opinion on why people still seem to struggle with video editing on Linux, or do you not come across that? Well, like I said before, um, I get plenty of negativity. <laughs> I think I think most app developers do with open source projects, which again is a big problem. I think um, I don't know the best way to get around it, but um, and I don't I don't look at. I mean, I think there are places for for commercial video editors, and like there's re good reasons that they exist. And um, but I think with regards to open source video editors, it's no different than any other open source project. They just need they need people that want to see them succeed and then people to get involved and, um, and encourage them. And I think like OpenShot, I make lots of really cool videos with OpenShot and it works great for me. I mean, obviously, and I, it might not work great for everybody and it might not work for every application. You know, it might not work great for what, um, you know, depending on what type of project you're trying to do. But yeah. I, I don't know. I think people are entitled to their opinions and, um, but it, it's kind of sad to see open source, personalities and open source news sites and and hear like things like the Linux Mint project. Um, they were kind of, you know, being a little discouraged, I think, after <laughs> redoing their website or something. But I think, yeah, I mean, it kind of sucks to get a lot of negativity around a project. And then a lot of um, this is what causes a lot of open source projects to close shop. You know? um, yep. They just kind of feel like it's not worth it anymore and uh, walk away. But, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I think video editing has come a long way in the last 10 years on Linux. I mean, it really sucked when I started uh, back in 2008. And I mean, to the point where I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do a video, couldn't cut a video or render one. And now there's quite a few options that, you know, from Blender to Caden um, Live to uh, PTV to OpenShot, there's just a, a lot of options that yeah. actually do work. <laughs> it, it's a lot different from now because like it, it, it now is it's just you just say i want to i want to try a different editor and whether if, if it like it doesn't fit your preferences doesn't have the features you want you can try out some more and there's there's plenty of options but back in the day you were like if you want to do video editing you had to become an ffmpeg ninja or, and that's like the only option at the time 
but like this, it's so much better now, and all, and all the different features that are coming in in various different, um, you know, different the the different applications, different video editors are making like innovative approaches, like the Blender animation that you're doing with OpenShot and those and those things, and having hardware acceleration coming. And I I'm excited for that one because there's a yeah. there's a there's a, the most common problem with open open source video editors is the lack of video acceleration. So I'm really happy to see that. But what are some features or enhancements you're working on for the next releases? Uh, you know, outside of the, the hardware acceleration, I'm already excited about. Right. So one of the other um, really cool things that we've rolled into 245 that will be coming out soon um, is some memory leak improvements. Um, and there's like some really big changes with memory management. And um, and so we've been doing a lot of testing on different systems to, to like, you know, uh, verify these claims. <laughs> but That's yeah, so one of the problems with, well, one of the current, I think, problems with OpenShot is that as you get a big timeline and you're, you're editing it for a while, like you'll notice that your RAM just keeps going up um, and in various, in different ways. And, and it's not always like repeatable, but so that that's going to be mostly fixed. I think with two, four, five um, from my nice. testing, like it'll be like, so, so what this means is that you'll be able to do video editing on systems that don't have as much memory. And so this will be a big help so that like, for example, you're doing a big uh, hour long, family video and maybe like 45 minutes in you've just run out of ram and that's that's the end of the show <laughs> yeah you know that's such an interesting thing you bring up because and if you're if you were selling proprietary software and you and you look on the box or i guess i'm aging myself here you look on the website it's going to have minimum specs to tell you what you need to run this but in open source there's a lot of people who run very old hardware just by the nature of open source. And it was kind of one of the things I came out to try to show the other side of what is Linux like on the latest hardware, but there's still a big majority on older hardware and you kind of have to try to make it work a little bit for everything. Obviously there's a certain point where you're like, look, you're not going to be able to run this with your 256 megabytes of Ram, but um, <laughs> that's a very difficult thing. And I think that is a uniquely Linux problem in a lot of ways. I, yeah, I mean, I do publish um, system specs on our website for people that have, you know, a lot of people ask. That's like a really common question we got um, on the project is like, what kind of system? Do I need more than two gigs of RAM? You get all sorts of like, yeah, yeah, probably. Um, but like I tell everybody, like when you're doing video editing or, or image editing or audio editing, like you can't have enough memory. You can't have a fast enough CPU. You can't have enough cores, so you just like the best computer you can you can couple together is what you want. Absolutely. There's a lot of CPU, a lot of CPU um, and multi-threaded CPU tasks in, in OpenShot, and, and a lot of those kind of programs, especially image editors. There's just a lot of like dividing up uh, tasks across cores and having them all run at the same time. So the more cores you can get, the better. The more RAM, definitely the more RAM. So. Yeah, I've actually had some issues where uh, a variety of different uh, video editors have some RAM issues where they they kind of leak amount, the amount like not necessarily leak RAM, but like or just eventually after a long period of time, you'll notice that it's getting a little sluggish and things are going a little different. Thing. So I'm really happy that you're doing that. And it is kind of funny you're talking about like the people are asking you is, is two gigs RAM uh, two gigs of RAM enough? No, just in general, no. So especially not video editing. So. <laughs> Uh, if you can get more than that, absolutely do it. Because if, if like, that's the whole thing about like 32 gigs versus six or 32 bit versus 64 bit. 
uh, if you can get 64 bit, do it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you want the most of everything when you're doing video editing. You just want, I mean, it's just gonna, it's just gonna wreck your system when you're doing video editing, and so, and by design. I should say, but it's going to try to use everything it can. And so the more you can give it, the better you're going to be. Mm -hmm. Cool. So with all these new enhancements that are coming up, you've already mentioned in a previous um, answer that you don't put any other video, video editors on your machine. Um, do you worry about what they're coming about out with, or do you concern yourself that they've got better features than you, or are you focused on your vision and you know what you want and you just work towards it? How does, how do you get your new ideas? I mean, I have coming up with ideas has never been a problem for me. Uh, it's just finding the time to, to implement them. Ah, I, mean, right. I, I just don't, me personally, it might just be me, but I, I don't look at it as a real competitive thing. Um, I'm not trying to be better than another video. I mean, I'm trying to make OpenShot the best video editor I can imagine that I, you know, from the people that use it and myself. Just in general, though, like I said, I, I don't look at it as a super competitive thing. I just want OpenShot to be as good as it can be. Um, and I get, there are a lot of ideas that come from people to me, you know, people that use OpenShot. Um, so things like, why doesn't OpenShot do this better? they might be influenced by another project or they might be asking for a feature that Adobe has or that, you know, or some other open source editor has, but ideas do flow to me through, through the community. So I, I'm not like, I'm not in a room with no windows and doors. So I, I do get <laughs> lots of ideas, but I don't wake up at night thinking, how can I, you know, this one video editor is better than me. I don't, I don't really think of it like that. That's yeah. awesome. So a project of this magnitude can always use more help from the community. So for our listeners out there, how can people get involved in OpenShot and what kind of assistance, assistance do you think you need most right now? As mentioned before, I think just having enthusiastic, enthusiastic people get involved with the project is really useful. You know, so, and that's just true with every open source project, not just OpenShot. So I, I really encourage people to send a nice email to the projects that they use the most and offer, if they have time, offer one day a week to, to help out in any way they can figure out how, you know, any way they could be useful. Um, you don't have to be a programmer to be involved and just, just enthusiasm and friendliness. And like, you'd be surprised at what I think that would do, but I think open shot, like any other open source project, we're always in need of, of new faces and enthusiasm and, and, you know, like, we want to feel like what we're doing is being appreciated and, and people want to see it continue. And that, that kind of feeling I think is, is real contagious to the, to the developers that work on these projects. Nice. And it's a, it's, it's a very, just want to reiterate, that's a very good point about like, you don't have to be a developer. Like you'll, you, every project can use more developers. Like that's a given, but like there's, there's so many other things that you can do as a, a user of the product or just, you know, you just want to help out in general. Like even if it's just going and helping with documentation or helping with support or just having conversation with the developers and letting them know their experience and how, like how you've got along with the, the software, like all of that is beneficial to, you know, the projects on, and, and I think everybody who is a developer, it like, you know, as you said, there's a lot of negative comments for, you know, just development in general, like just, just if you put anything out there in the public view, regardless of what that is, there's going to be negative comments sent back to you. So just being the opposite of that and giving them like if you're if you enjoy that software or that project and you let them know that you enjoy it, that in itself is a very valuable thing. Yeah, I think that's a great I think, yeah, 
the, the number one question I get is, is people like, I'm not a developer, so I can't help you, but good job. But I'm like, you just helped. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just get involved. And you can stay and you can, you could say that, I mean, you could get involved and say, for example, like we, we use GitHub um, to track various bugs and issues on OpenShot, which is always, um, OpenShot is a very unbalanced, you know, user base to number of developers. It's very unbalanced. So we might get 30 bug reports for the same bug. And I, it just takes so much time. <laughs> so like, I, you know, going in there and just like trying to find duplicates and, and, combine tickets and things like that. Just little simple things that maybe take no technical work at all. Um, I think those are areas most projects could use help with. Yeah, that's a great point. Just you can go in and just say like, you know, and I think that most projects have the ability to let people add tags that are just like temporary tags of like, here's this, this might be a duplicate and that kind of thing. That's, yeah. a, that's a great point. But I'm always excited when people come in and say, can I help with your GitHub issues? And I'm like, hell yeah. But, <laughs> but there's one thing I forgot to mention on 245. And that is, um, I now have the, uh, we now have the ability to do importing and exporting of EDL files and also Final Cut Pro XML files. Whoa. And this is something I've been working on for the last couple of weeks. And it's, it's finally like it's merged in and it's ready to test um, on our daily builds. But so you can go into, for example, Adobe Premiere or Final Cut Pro and build a timeline and export um, an XML file or an EDL and go into OpenShot and import it or vice versa. That is and I will qualify it's not perfect, but it could it, it can take a project maybe that you work on at school or on someone else's system and you have, you know, a hundred cuts, for example, you can then export those cuts out, drop the folder on Linux and open it with OpenShot and have all your cuts back in OpenShot. That so, is nice. very impressive. So I forgot that during the broadcast, but that's yeah. kind of a cool feature. I'm gonna I'm gonna edit it in and I'll probably leave in the part where I say I'm editing it in and then we're gonna just cut right here. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, John, you have made it through our gauntlet of questions like a true pro. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on this show. We really do want to tell you how much we appreciate everything that you've done for this project. You and the team have done with OpenShot for this project and for the open source community. Having a good video editor and having options in Linux is so important. If you look at the new people who are sometimes have very popular channels, sometimes are up and coming channels, that are into Linux, but are looking into Linux for the first time, you'll notice that there are a couple areas that they focus on gaming, uh, overall performance, and then video editing because they all make content. So having a strong video editor out there actually makes a strong case for Linux overall. So I'm so glad you got that bug in you in 2008. Thank you again for all the progress and work that you've done. We cannot wait for 2.4.5 with the hardware acceleration. And 2.4.6 with the drawing on the video and stuff. Yeah, yeah, 2.4.6. He's like, yeah, when you come help us, we'll get that done. Right? Thank you again, John. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yep. Great stuff. Thank you. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. We love our patrons and Kofi supporters, and I just want to give a special shout out to all of you who sponsor this show, to make this show a reality each and every week. So be, become a patron and be part of the show. You can watch interviews like this, the whole uncut version of it online or live while we're doing it, and you can join us for just a dollar on Patreon, which is darn near free. 
And we are on Kofi as well. So if you're not a fan of Patreon or just want a different alternative, you can go on Kofi, which has monthly options to give you the exact same perks as Patreon. So please remember to get back to us and let us know what you think of the show or ask that burning question. We've got numerous methods that you can contact us. Uh, email is comments at destinationlinux.org. We've got our Telegram group. We've got Discord. We've got Twitter. We've got Mastodon and a whole host of other reasons that, or not reasons, but methods that Michael can, can tell you about. That's at destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. And of course, don't forget, Enter our regular competition. Where's Noah? There you go. <laughs> exactly. And also, the, the the content doesn't stop here. We also have a lot more stuff that you can check out on our own channels. You can check out Ryan's content, where he's he'll fill your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux at YouTube.com/dosgeek. You can also check out Zeb's content at YouTube.com/zebedeeboss, where you can find him dri driving at insane speeds and moving aside caravans that get in his way on his live streams on Euro Truck Simulator. You can find my content at TuxDigital.com, where I do a in-depth weekly GNU's podcast this weekend. Linux and other Linux related content. I'm actually really happy about the fact that I said I was going to do a video and I, I did. We're so, all still in shock. I know. <laughs> me too, honestly. And you can check out Noah whenever he no, shows up on the show. No, you can't check out Noah. No, because he didn't show up to the show, so you can't check out Noah. Fair point. So like that smash button and share the show on social media. AskNoahShow.com. Check <laughs> out Noah. <laughs> exactly. So everybody have a great week and remember the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, we'll everyone. see you all at self next week. Absolutely.